0: everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Karibuni, Minnesota. We're recording here in McAllister College's radio station, WMCN 91.7, and we are your hosts. I'm Matthew Wilkinson. I'm
1: Juma Kata from Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Hakizimana Emmanuel, And I'm Kelo Kisongo uh, from Voice in the Wilderness as well.
0: We put this podcast together because we wanted to create a welcoming educational space for the sharing of stories and perspectives by refugees who have come to Minnesota from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Welcome everyone to Karibuni, Minnesota. Last time we talked about recent world events and their impact on the community. Today we will introduce another community leader and discuss family matters and Congolese cultural traditions. Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming in here to join us on our first broadcast we heard the journeys of Juma and Kilo and how they came to join us here in Minnesota. And I was hoping um, to uh, ask that you might share how you ended up here and your journey. And um, I'm also really interested in how uh, you went from, uh, uh, just like Kilo and Juma have, you went from being a refugee yourself uh, who is receiving help to being an incredible community leader who so many refugees depend on today.
1: Um, as I say, my name is Hakizimana Emmanuel. Uh, I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and I grew up in Rwanda because I fled in 1996 uh, from my country and spent the rest of my life uh, in Rwanda before I moved. I had a chance to be resettled in the United States. In the United States, uh, of course, in the government systems or institutions, uh, I have a status as a refugee. But myself, I'm not calling myself a refugee because I know what it means to be a refugee back home where I spent more than two decades in a refugee camp. Um, So here I call myself as a new American. A new American, I love that. As other Americans who came here before me like... Uh, five centuries ago, they were like me when they arrived for the first time. So that's why I call myself a new American, not a refugee. That I started in the government. I don't care. <laughs> well, um, I grew up in a refugee camp uh, in Rwanda, in a camp called Gihembe Refugee Camp. It's located in northern Kivu, uh, sorry, in northern province of Rwanda. And I spent the rest of my life there doing my studies, primary school, um, secondary school, uh, some part of secondary school and university outside, and some of the uh, advanced level outside of the camp as well in a boarding school, and um, luckily in, 29, in 2016, I had a um, a resettlement case uh, where I was supposed to um, come to the US So within um, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees there is um, three options for sustainability for refugees. one um, if a refugee is staying in a refugee camp uh, more than 15 years there is a chance to, Repatriate a refugee. In our case, it was impossible because, still, uh, where we came from, there is so much uh, insecurity. And of course, the second option was reintegration um, within the community in Rwanda. But also, this one is impossible because um, Rwanda is a small country and one of the poorest countries in the globe. Uh, So reintegration of refugees was also impossible. So the third option was resettlement, uh, whereby United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees have a partnership with um, the government of different developing countries, such as U.S. and um, other European countries. So my chance, uh, I have a chance to be resettled in the United States with my family, my wife and my three kids. So we came in Minnesota in September 2019, so we've been here for one year and 11
0: months. Since you've been here one year and 11 months, from in the conversations we've had, uh, you've been a source of great support for families who've been here for much longer. So how did that come to be? What kind of, maybe you could talk a bit about the, uh, the work you do in the community and also uh, uh, why it is that, that you are able to help people who've um, already been in the United States for years at a time.
1: Uh, thank you so much. Um, what I'm doing right now, is reflect my personality of who I am. Um, I would say it was a chance, but on the other hand, it wasn't. Um, I had a chance to be raised uh, as an adoptive child. And um, from the love that I received from my adoptive mother, uh, who raised me in a refugee camp with no means. Uh, she was a widow and um, she had four kids and we had to depend on um world food program support only and she couldn't care about my, uh, my uh, myself and the other kids. She did all she can to make sure that as a kids in the family we receive equal opportunities as she offered as a mom. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, uh, the love that she shared with me uh, the love that other people shared with me, like uh, before she adopted me, I was a street child. So the love that people was um, showing me, like, people's caring, and people want me to grow and become someone. It, I kept this in my mind, and I said, whenever I will be someone, I have to give back to the community. So when I was still in a refugee camp, uh, I was doing different activities um, relating to community. Because I had a chance to go to school, and many of my community members didn't go to school because of um, the conflict, the challenges in a refugee camp. Uh, Majority, I will say 90%, didn't go to school. And I used my skills and my knowledge uh, to do whatever I can to support uh, my community members back in a refugee camp. I remember the first thing I started with was creating uh, an English association where I gathered uh, high school graduates uh, who were having difficulties to express themselves after the introduction of English as a medium of instructions in Rwanda, because Rwanda was uh, was uh, colonized by Belgium, so. French was one of the official language in the country until 2008 when the system was changed to English uh, due to uh, the conflict that uh, Rwanda had with France. So um, from there now, I created an association where I gathered these uh, high school graduates help them express themselves having confidence training with uh, training them um, how to approach people to avoid fear to talk you know uh, people sometimes in our community were really shy and then I was trying to show them like you need to be sharp you need to mm-hmm. talk to people facing uh, face by face things like that. And then from there, um, I had a chance to get a job uh, back in the capital city in Kigali, where I've been working as, first of all, I've been working as hotel front office manager uh, because I did hospitality and tourism management. So from there, then, after moving to Kigali, uh, capital city, um, I had an idea of Uh, still empowering students in different schools whereby I created um, awareness and I called Inspire Me uh, where I was doing it with one of the engineers who was my friend, his name Eric. Um, We used to go to schools and then sharing with students stories um, because everybody knew me in the refugee camp So I was sharing the story of how I moved from a street child, be adopted, go to school, and they they saw all the progress I made, the business that I created in a refugee camp. I had a restaurant there, which was popular. Oh. And then the association that I created, which had a very huge impact in the community. And then the school that we created um, after one of the non-government organizations called GRIA stopped uh, paying school fees for students, and we initiated a program where, as university students and graduates from high school, we created a school within a refugee camp that helps all around 300 students to study within a refugee camp. And then when they finished senior six, we tried to put them uh, to arrange with community members who were not in a refugee camp who were urban refugees. And then we sent to them and they will be registered as a free candidate to do the national exam. And from there, around 300 students graduated from high school. And from there, some of them who had a chance to be resettled in the United States before me, like um, since 2011, some of these students, they have gone far. We have engineers who are working currently in Intel, a wow. giant tech company, who benefited from that school that we created with no means in a refugee camp. And we have some other engineers who are working. Uh, I have one engineer who is working um, in NASA as an electric engineer. So they they inspired us so much. So from there and then, um, I kept thinking, like, what am I going to do once I arrive in the U.S.? So when I arrived in Minnesota, um, of course, I contacted different people who came uh, before me who were in different states, and uh, they told me different challenges that people are facing. Um, and so... When I arrived here, because these few community members who knew me from the refugee camp and from Rwanda, uh, when they knew that I was here, they came toward me. They knew that I was a support. Even if they spent more than two to three years, they knew that maybe I will support from one thing to another. So um, that's when, when they start coming to me, asking me different questions. How can I do this? How can I do this? For the first time, it was hard because I, I used to tell them, you've been here for so long, what can I do for you? I'm a brand new, I don't know anything. And then they told me, but we believe in you. We know that you can support. So from there... Um, I start connecting myself to uh, different people that I've been working with back home. There is a non-government organization called um, Allied. It used to be called American Refugee Committee. So I started working with this non-government organization as interpreter back in a refugee camp, uh, where I was interpreting for volunteers uh, who used to come uh, to do different activities with refugees I remember that time uh, we provided eye care for more than 4,000 in a refugee camp because the refugee camp where I grew up had 20,000 Congolese refugees. So um, these volunteers that I've been working with back home in Rwanda, um, we kept in touch. So I was really connected to them from 2012 until when I moved to Minnesota. I remember when I had my first interview as um, a candidate for resettlement, um, I sent some of them the email asking, "Like, where is the best place to live in the United States? Mm-hmm. And everybody was surprised. Are you coming in America? And then I say, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. It was back in 2016. And then they start giving me different options according to uh, states and the policies about immigrants and refugees. That's where I knew, like, there is, in America, there is a blue state, there is a red state. Um, you can benefit this from this state. You cannot benefit this from this state. And then from there, um, they explained to me that Minnesota was one of the best states. For immigrants and refugees, and I decided to move with my family in Minnesota. Um, so when I uh, when I when I came here, now I went back to those volunteers that I've been working with, mm-hmm. and they took me to the head office of Alight in Minneapolis, and they introduced me to the CEO of the organization and from there um, there was one of my friends who was doing a master's degree in uh, New York uh, who was really close to this uh, organization and then he recommended me to some of the employees um, in a light and then they contacted me, they asked, it, they came toward me providing different support for my reintegration here in the community. And then from there, um, after like two to three months, uh, I started receiving different cases uh, from my community members who were here, mm-hmm. who were facing problems of um, lease argument violation mm-hmm. with the landlords, uh, who were facing problem of reading the papers mm-hmm. uh, coming from the government in the mailbox, uh, who were facing problems of... Um, having some appointments and um, like they want to buy some asset and they will not be able to, mm-hmm. to handle that because the English was limited. And then from there, so I tried to go all through this and then try to support the community because it, it's my passion. It's who I am. It's my way of giving back to what my adoptive mother gave mm-hmm. me. So that's
0: how I started normally. That's just such an incredible story. Um, before we move on, um, could you maybe uh, summarize uh, one case, uh, just so we have an idea of like, the kinds of situations you're helping people with? Like you mentioned the lease agreement. Maybe Could you um, uh, summarize uh, like, uh, what the problem someone had is, and then how you overcame it or helped them overcome it?
1: There was a case where a landlord was violating um, a lease agreement with a tenant who is one of my community members. Uh, this tenant came toward me and tell me, you know, I've been in uh, apartment for s- almost two years, but there is so many challenges that I'm facing. I can go off of using a refrigerator for one month, and I couldn't believe uh, how she's paying more than 1000 $150 a month and she can spend a whole month without using a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So, she talked to my wife, because she's shy, and then she talked to my wife about the scenario and then my wife shared with me the case. And when she shared with me, I immediately started thinking like, what can I do? So, immediately I intervened and then um, I asked the number the contact, tower can reach the landlord. And then I contacted the landlord. The landlord didn't want to talk to me. And I kept pushing. The second time, uh, she talked to me, and she promised that she's going to sort the issue. And she didn't sort the issue. So from there, it was a serious case because she was having a problem with the refrigerator. And... She was having a problem with the snow plowing Mm -hmm. because she used to live at the second floor, and where she used to move going to her unit was just going on the steps. And during winter, it's horrible because she was living with her mom, who is old. So they used to fall and fall on the stairs. Mm -hmm. So I had that concern what if one of the kids died? stepping down on the stairs. Mm -hmm. The mom has injuries. She always explained to me about that. And then the landlord was not responding. And then in my mind, the idea came, and then I said, okay, so I think I know someone uh, who can help me to solve this issue. So he was someone that I've been working with. Um, He knew he was... He have enough experience in... um, um, in Fair Housing Act because uh, he's an attorney and he deals, he rents apartments. He have a company that's dealing with apartments and I was working with him in one way or another. And I shared the issue with uh, this attorney and then I was begging for a help because I know paying an attorney was not easy. Mm-hmm. especially for um, someone with a very low income. Mm-hmm. So I begged for a help. I explained the scenario, I explained the issue, and he was really upset about what's going on mm-hmm. uh, with this tenant. Immediately, he decided to engage with the landlord and sending ma- emails, sending mails, And finally when the landlord saw that uh, this tenant had someone who can advocate for him, mm-hmm. uh, for her, the landlord started working on snow plowing and then start doing maintenance of the refrigerator, changing different stuff. So from there again, um, this tenant decided to move out from the unit. So, and then She asked me if I can be a support to make sure that she get another house somewhere else. And then I said, yeah, I will do that. And then I start applying where I live because I knew she had a problem with a language barrier. Mm -hmm. So I decided to apply where I live to see if I can support fully because she will be close to me. And then Uh, I did that. Unfortunately, at the last minute, her current landlord sent a negative recommendations, uh, saying, like, that um, tenant had insects in the unit. So he gave her a recommendation that would not allow her for any landlord Mm -hmm. wherever in the U.S., to have access on housing. It was a very big issue. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went back to the attorney, who was my friend, and then kept begging. Now there is this big scenario. What can you do? He intervened again by uh, linking with her current landlord and my landlord. Mm -hmm. Because one landlord sent a negative recommendation, And another landlord refused to give this tenant a house, Mm -hmm. apartment. And so the attorney was trying to intervene and to see at least how this negative recommendation can be erased. And then uh, at least she can have a right to apply somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So he intervened. And then this issue was sorted, and the negative recommendations was deleted in the system. And from there, I applied for her somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And currently, she lives peacefully in a new
0: apartment. Wow, that is an amazing story. You mentioned that that legal fees are not cheap. How, do you have an idea of how uh, expensive this would have been if... The lawyer uh, would have been charging for this service? After um,
1: talking to this attorney, I had such curious question, like, because it was a case that took almost three months. I asked him, like, how much this case should be cost. And he told me that it should cost, like, 30,000 US dollars.
0: Well, an incredible amount that, that he provided for free. And then also, yeah, it just shows how important those connections can be. Yes. Okay, so yeah, thank you so much for this introduction to your work and who you are. What I find especially amazing about what you do is that you're completely unaffiliated for most of for much of, of this of this work that you do and it's, it just speaks to your character that you do that um yes. uh, just, just from your own heart.